Like it's not really what people see, it's what people don't see that make you who you are and it's not all the flashy lights and all that, it's the things that you do at home by yourself and as simple as it's just like eating well or you know, putting your head, head in the right mindset. Hello, it's Andrew May and welcome to another edition of Performance Intelligence, the podcast about all things human performance. This podcast is part of our Performer Spotlight series where I sit down with a coach and client, a CEO, a business owner or an athlete or athletes I have previously worked with. Over the past two years, one of the roles I've thoroughly enjoyed is working as the mental skills coach for the mighty Parramatta Eels. Today, I'm sitting down with two players who I've worked with regularly, the Zippy number nine, Reid Money, and we'll call the physically imposing number 12, Sean Lane. <laughs> uh, I'm going to be totally upfront. One of the goals I've got for today's podcast is I want to challenge the outdated stereotype that rugby league players or footballers are buffheads and don't have intellect or don't have a real compassion or feeling for the community. We're going to challenge that. With Reid Marnie, first of all, you were born in Nambour, Queensland, and you grew up in Landsborough, playing junior rugby league in country Queensland. Originally recruited by the Bulldogs, playing for the SG Ball team, and then joining the Parramatta Eels in 2008. You've played 101 NRL games. Your 100th game was very emotional. We'll talk about that. And you've been drafted into the Queensland State of Origin in the 2021 season. You've recently signed a contract for four years, which is massive in rugby league with the Bulldogs. Outside of that, you're a proud ambassador for Giant Steps, and you have a passion for property. You're a bit of a real estate mogul, I reckon, Reedy. <laughs> Sean Lane. You played junior rugby league for the South E. Sean Lane. You played junior rugby league for the South Eastern Seagulls. I spent seven years in Malabar. We're going to talk about that. You are fondly known as the Lane Train, and after a few false starts playing for the Bulldogs, the Warriors, and the Sea Eagles, you joined Parramatta in 2019. You've played a total of 147 NRL games, and in the season just finished, you were presented with the Ken Thornett Medal for Player of the Year. You've just re-signed with Parramatta for another three years as well. Outside of that, you study psychology, and you're a student of human behaviour. So, Reedy Laney, welcome to the podcast. Uh, I am very keen to showcase what you both do behind the scenes. And I was thinking, uh, am I nervous? Not nervous. I'm a bit conscious because I've worked with you in around mental skills. So not diving straight into that. First part today, I want the beginning or the backstory. The second, we'll look at the last year, really narrow in on what you've both done behind the scenes to allow you to play 80 minutes of footy. I think a lot of people have no idea what you both do or what a lot of footballers do. And three, we're going to go into the crystal ball, both for you in rugby league and also your future. And then I'm going to finish with 13 mad fire questions, which is called the performance intelligence baker's dozen. I'm just going to put you on the spot. Um, who wants to go first on the past? Paper, scissor, rock. <sighs> the past. Um, yeah, go ahead. Like, what's the what's the first one you got for me, mate? Okay, so first, Laney, we'll go. Uh, talk to me about growing up. What was growing up for you like? Growing up for me was was pretty pretty good. I think I had a, a, a good childhood. My mum was the rock of my family. She really took care of the kids a lot, very well. I thought she instilled some good values into us, taught us right from wrong. Yeah, taught us to work hard for things in life. Uh, things don't come easy. Things, things like that. My old man, he, um, he's been in a battle with depression, chronic depression, ever since he was a kid. He's he's had signs and symptoms of pretty pretty heavy depression. So he's been going through that my entire life, and he's had times where he's been a bit more absent in in my life as a parent because he's dealing with uh, a lot, obviously, on his own plate. So uh, yeah, like I said, my mum was a rock, but my dad was a, a good a good uh, base of support too for us. And I had uh, two older brothers, 
they provided yeah someone to look up to and uh, to help kind of guide me into my own path of where I wanted to go give me support and advice so uh, they played footy a bit my middle brother played NRL for the Bulldogs one game I always give him shit about that (laughs) that'd go down well from the little brother wouldn't it (laughs) yeah yeah he studied as well so I understood the importance of uh, having a backup plan outside of football so talk to me about that and and you openly spoke about this I love the article with Dan Walsh the title father's depression battle driving lanes career best form with the eels you say my old man Jeff has had chronic depression since you were four years old. It's sad to see him down, depressed or in a rut, but you understand and accept that all you can do is be there for him and be there to support him. You also said, I'm very close to my family and that means so much to me. I understand the importance of being on top of your mental well-being. Mm. Yeah, well, um, like I said, it's kind of part of my normality in life now is uh, going through these phases with my family where my old man may be in a rut, may be um, in quite a bad place and we have to deal with it collectively as a family. Um, it, it's quite difficult at times, but yeah, it's just part of being human. You know, you have these ups and downs in life and it's something that we can't control. All we can do is be there for him. So we're always going to do that. We're always going to be a base of support for him to try and get through his own issues and it's not going to stop us living our own life and trying to do the best that we can given our own situations. Was football a place for you to sort of hide from that or was football a place for you to, to shine, to get out in the field and maybe get away from some of that sadness? Because I can imagine, well, now you process it really well and you're studying psych. We'll, we'll get to that in a moment. But I'm wondering how that went as a kid, how you know, if you saw your dad sad or upset, you're still working out your feelings. I look at it with my kids, Laney, like in the younger years, it's like you know, when you start to do burnouts in your car, you two never would have done burnouts, really. Like never. Country Queensland, you're a good boy. Um, so in case that's all they do on every Friday <laughs> Arvo, mate. Four, <laughs> a couple of beers. Four yeah. eggs and burnouts. Six pack yeah. of Woodstock or Bundy Run. A bit of Bundy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But you know when you start burning out when you're young and you overcorrect, so you would have been, like your emotions would have been fishtailing and then you had that with your dad. Uh, do you have any memories of, of how you dealt with that? I was quite guarded from it as a child. I think my parents were very conscious not to make it an issue for the kids and my old man like kind of hit it very well. Um, only by the time that I kind of got into high school did I start to understand a little bit more about it and actually how serious his condition was and that he was suicidal and things like that. I didn't realise that most of my childhood actually so they did well to kind of allow me to just live a normal life, uh, normal childhood um, without the worry of those types of things. So football was never really a way for, for me to escape or anything like that. It was just me having fun. And then I think once I understood more about my dad's condition, about the way he sees life and things like that, it kind of motivated me to make the most of, of my own life and the, the opportunities that I've been given, understanding that not everyone is lucky enough to be able to be healthy as me and yeah be placed in the predicaments in the situations that I've been I'm I'm very blessed and and grateful to be able to do what I do and yeah it's kind of a motivating factor for me if anything to make the most of the opportunities that I have and you got a real passion for psychology and it makes sense the more I got to know you in fact when I started at Parramatta you two were two of the the best students I've had in 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 multiple sports you embraced it but as I got to know you more Laney I I I think I started to understand more because you saw that with your dad and then thinking if he didn't have those skills, if other people can learn those skills, it could save a lot of pain, a lot of heartache, a lot of problems for families. Yeah, well, that's 
been not only the motivating factor for my own career, understanding his predicament, but then a potential move for me post-career. I've done lots of work with you talking about my aspirations to potentially be a mental skills coach myself one day in the future. And You're I've being s- humble. You said to me one day, mate, I want your job. And I said, you'll be here. I didn't better say that, mate. <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't say that. I said, I'm going to be up here. You'll be down here. That's right. <laughs> I think you said, you can be my sister. <laughs> but yeah, understanding my situation, the opportunities that I have as a professional athlete to potentially move forward into uh, that type of career path. Yeah, it's been something that motivates me to study off the field and yeah set myself up with a backup plan outside of rugby league and yeah potential career path moving forward and one of the things we learn especially broaden and build theory uh barbara edrickson Reedy's going what are you guys talking about we'll get to you in a minute champ uh but that broaden and build theory the experiences we have broaden and build we can spiral up when we're having positive experiences you know confidence capability takes us up but we can also have more that hopelessness helplessness spiraling down And I've heard you talk about this in in one of the webinars you did with one of our clients for the New South Wales government. And and you bounced between a few clubs. So you played for the Bulldogs, you played for the Warriors, you played for the Sea Eagles. Can you talk to us about that? You know, there's this self-loathing pity, um, how you were going about being a professional athlete back then. Yeah, a few false starts, I think, is how you referred to them. Yeah, that's that's professional sport for you, mate. You know, the, you have the times, like you said, where you broaden and build, and then there's other times where you're spiraling downwards, and you you get thrust into this life as a kid at 20 years old, where you're pretty much straight out of high school, and you don't have any life experience. You've never been through any any sort of uh, challenging times yourself, and then suddenly you're thrust into the spotlight with all this media attention and everyone talking about you and you're feeling great about yourself and then boom, you're in a rut suddenly and no one wants to be around you anymore and you got no support and all this. So yeah, that's been part of my experience as a professional athlete and that's been uh, a big part of me growing as a person, understanding these, these things that I've been through and then how to, how to get over them, how to overcome them, ob- uh, obstacles. But then also understanding that this is part of the life of a professional athlete has uh, allowed me to think what happens if I can help someone in a similar situation as, as what I've been in. So that's, yeah, been eye-opening for me as a- I just love that I'm talking to a footballer about broaden and build through, I think. <laughs> this is, this, this is the, the highlight of my year. Um, I asked you before we went live recording if we could talk about some of the mistakes that you've made. Uh, This is in the public domain, but I wanted to respectfully not go somewhere you didn't. And you said, you're okay for me to approach the $17,500 joke that you made in September in 2018. Do you want to fill in the blanks? Yeah, well, like I said, when when you come into first grade, you're just a a kid. You don't realise all of the scrutiny that you're subject to and you have these kids looking up to you you're constantly in the in the spotlight things start to go wrong you start to point fingers at other people it's their fault this it's this person's fault that that just kind of opened my eyes a little bit and allowed me to take a step back look at my situation and um, just start to mature a bit more as a person understand that these are the terms of you being a professional athlete you got to actually grow up a little bit um, and I've had a few moments. Did, did you take the picture, or did someone else take the picture? Oh, I yeah. took. I took the picture, so I'm the only idiot yeah. in that room. <laughs> so it was a picture of you with a plastic bag with some white stuff in it. Yeah, yeah the contents of the picture doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> yeah, I have an experience, mate. But like, 
I'm only human, you know, that's, that's part of my journey as a, as a person. No one's perfect. Everyone has obstacles that they overcome and it's only going to allow me to grow more as a person and that's what it's done. And also, when you talk to someone and go, here's what I've done really well, blah, 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 and here's my stuff ups, here's the mistakes, what do you think people lean into more? Yeah, of course, they're going to be... You're normal. You've made mistakes. Yeah. But also, everyone loves the, the comeback story, you know, when someone's mm. been down. And we'll, we'll talk about bouncing around clubs in a moment because I want to go to this guy as well, the Queenslander. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you've heard Laney's story For growing up. a day up. and a half or something. Good eight hours. <laughs> 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 Is any of that surprising to you? Did you know all that about Laney's backstory? No, I actually didn't know much about um, – I know where he lives and where he grew up, but not so much about his father and stuff like that. So it's – um, it just goes to show that you don't know someone's story and you know, just to be to be kind and appreciate where people come from and what they've been through because you just don't know what happens behind closed doors and um, it's a perfect example of it. Interesting, isn't it? You uh, have a contractor squad of 30 players. You know each other when you rock up and put on the training gear or put on the, the uniform on the field, but we all have a backstory. It's what I love about a podcast where I get two blokes that I respect and know and we can pull on the thread a little bit. So pulling on your thread, but growing up in Nambour, I know a few things, but tell us, what was that like, the Queensland yeah, experience? It's probably one of my greatest memories growing up in Landsborough. Yeah, my best memories of, you know, we moved on to a bit of a farm, sort of 100 acres and... Um, I had my, one of my best mates live a kilometre up the road and, you know, all we did was just ride motorbikes and get the – old, the old boy would have some – a guy he knew that drop off like, uh, you know, cars that are all broken and but still work somehow and we'd ride them around the paddock and um, pretty much until they blow up and then he'd pick it up and then we'd drop another one off and, um, yeah, that's probably one of my best memories is, is living there. Were you walking around thinking you were Dominic Toretto? <laughs> I don't even know who that is. <laughs> no. Um, it's Vin Diesel. Vin Diesel. Fast and Furious. Uh, Fast um, and Furious. Oh, it was there. I didn't get to drive until we were late on, until, we, until I was a bit older. Mm. But um, yeah, it was something really good I enjoyed. So country life, in many ways, pretty simple, isn't it? Like you don't have a lot of the stress in the city. You've got land out there. Yeah. Did you always want to be an NRL player from a young, young oh, age? I think our whole family... We just love footy from dad, my two brothers, you know, my mum loves it as well. And, you know, I had two older brothers that pretty successful in footy and, you know, we watched footy every weekend and mum would go to three different games on the weekends. And I don't know how she did it, to be honest, but, um, you know, my brother would be playing at two o'clock somewhere else and I'd be playing at three o'clock somewhere. And yeah, she, she, she did it all. So, but yeah, we all just wanted to be NRL players. Most kids do who grow up in a rugby league country or community. Was there a moment as a kid where you thought, yeah, I've, I've got this? Because with all athletes I work with, Reedy, there's a time where they believed it. Now, you being six, are you six, six now? Six, seven. Every time I see you, you grow. Six, six, yeah. What's so, Reedy? Uh, Reedy's uh, above average. Reedy's above <laughs> average. He is, yeah. But, uh, you know, you're, you're physically, you're, you're tall. You make me feel short. Um, so if you're tall and you can catch a ball and pass, you're probably going to be you know, put in the outside edge somewhere. Growing up as a number nine, it's tough, you know, country footy. When did you have that moment where you really thought, I can do this? I think, you know, I was very hard on myself as a young kid and I'd probably give young parents that are having kids growing up to not be so harsh on them. And um, I'd have a little kids football team and he's on the 10s and he's getting stuck into the 10-year-old kids. I'm like, mate, they're only 10. But I can remember back, you know, when I was that age and, I just wanted to make every rep team and all them sort of things. And 
it was probably not until I was maybe 15 years old and um, I got picked for a Queensland team and you know I signed a contract with the with the Bulldogs at 15 years old and for where I'm from that's pretty big and that's young generally isn't it 15 years yeah it was it was only like a little you know come down and train in the school holidays sort of thing but don't tell your mates that you're telling (laughs) me you're locked in for 10 years right (laughs) um so that's it was there was just a time where you know they sort of said to me you know we want you to move to sydney and i thought oh you know i was so bit of a mama's boy i didn't want to leave home and it was probably a time and and place where i thought no i'm gonna give this a real hot crack and you know, in 10 years, if I, you know, sit there and say I didn't try, then, you know, I'd be filthy at myself. So, and all those things that happen between now and then, you know, there's been good parts and there's been some really bad parts as well. And it's probably one of my, you know, when I first moved to Sydney, it was probably one of the hardest things I've ever done. It's something that I always talk about as well as having to move home from a town that's got, you know, one pub, one post office, um, doesn't even have a set of like, traffic lights through the through the main street of town, nothing to, you know, smack bang of uh, Belmore. So um, that was pretty hard shock, for, yeah. for me culturally as well. But obviously, you know, there was something in me that I don't know what it is. There was something in me that just made me stay. And there was nights where I cried and said, nah, I can't do this anymore. And I miss out on my mate's birthdays and stuff like that. And I thought, but there was just something in me that just kept me in Sydney. And once I sort of found my feet and knew where I was and where I could get to, it made you know them things a bit easier to get over. Were you always headstrong, like always, because yeah, you've told me about Mount Mellum. Yeah. yeah so you might want to share the story it's, about um, Mount Mellum, but have you always been the headstrong little kid? Like if you asked your family, you know, was he a nuggety? Who was like always going to do I feel something? I just, I like to be the best. I know I'm probably not going to be, but I'll give myself a chance to put myself in the spotlight to be the best player or you know, be the best person, stuff like that. So um, I probably would say that, you know, I've fought a lot of adversity and, you know, that stuff has come hard and hit me down and some reason I just keep getting back up and just don't want to let anyone down and let my family and my friends down and that's the sort of person that, you know, I want to be known to be and part of my legacy is being a footy player is it uh, doesn't matter how many times you get knocked down and it's quite cliche but it's, it's true and um, that's sort of how I see it. What's going wrong with this interview? We've spoken about psychology in the first 10 minutes and now you're talking about legacy as a football player. What, what are you two on? Like, this is awesome. <laughs> and we're going to talk a bit more about purpose and passion as we go. But uh, Mount Mellon. Yeah, it's, I've shared the story with you, um, obviously, when we were talking about when you said, what's your purpose? And I looked at you and went, you're an idiot, mate, I've got <laughs> no idea what you're talking about. And, <laughs> Tackle uh, guys. Probably, when we, probably six months into when we started um, seeing each other and yeah, I had no idea. And it's a story that I, I share with you and... Um, there, was, there was a couple of times where this is probably the, the, the spotlight where I said, no, I'm going to make sure I'm going to make it is, um, you know, we lived on top of a mountain and it was six kilometers up the upper hill. We'd, you know, it wasn't, definitely wasn't flat. And um, I'd go to footy training and dad would pick me up about, you know, 6.30, 7 o'clock. And uh, by the time we get close to home, it'd be pitch black. And there was one night, I don't know what it was. I just something in my head. I said, dad, stop. And it was pitch black and he goes what and uh i just got out of the car put my joggers on and i just ran up this hill my dad followed me in his truck behind me with his lights on and yeah that's sort of something that i always remember like i don't know why i did it but i said that's that that bug inside me that like it's not really what people see it's what people don't see that make you who you are and it's not all the flashy lights and all that it's the things that you do at home by yourself and 
as simple as just like eating well or you know putting your head head in the right mindset yeah well, it was a perfect segue to the current season so both growing up different lives but you both had your own challenges both wanting to be NRL players you've both been playing Reedy you've done 101 games you've played 101 Laney 147 so you're now established players uh, Laney your previous year so we're in the off season at time of recording you've just enjoyed the best year of your NRL career finishing with 14 line break assists and 38 offloads you ever think I'd be quoting stats to you like Thanks that to Dil. Oh, <laughs> Dil finally learned how to pass me the ball Dil passed. That's what it was. but you, you uh, you've had an amazing year you've got the uh, Ken Thornet medal for the best player of the year just missed out according to all the news uh, papers on the Kangaroos tour uh, you're in the running for all that but you've had a standout year what have you changed or what, what, what's been the evolution to have that year there's been multiple different points in my career where I've had to kind of look in the mirror and look at what I've been doing wrong to understand how I can move forward and create a, a better life for myself as a player to make things easier or take take advantage of the situation I'm in better um, and I think one of those real pivotal moments kind of occurred to me midway through this season it's easy sometimes to just get stuck in what you're going through at particular times and get caught up in the motion of things um, without kind of s- uh, stepping back and reflecting on things and I think the last few years I've just kind of been doing that I've just been getting caught up in the motion of being a footy player and not really caring too much about doing whatever I can, whatever is necessary to succeed. And uh, I think about midway point of the the season, maybe a little bit before it, I, I was going through a difficult time on the field, plenty of injuries, some sickness, a lot of adversity at the time, and it was making me really dislike football. So I kind of just had to take a step back and look at what I could do to make it more enjoyable for myself to get out of my own way to start succeeding better and living up to the potential that I know that I could. Not a bad turnaround, Reedy, was it? I, I, I'm in the yeah, lead up to the grand final, there was an interview, I think it was Fox Sports, where Laney was interviewed and they said, you've had a good year. And he said, oh, it's been okay. And you said, that's an understatement. You, you, you took the piss out of him saying yeah, he was downplaying the, the year he'd had. That's that's a huge turnaround, though. Was it just mindset? I think there's opportunities involved, like things external to my control as well. The team started to probably utilize my skills a bit better, and like we mentioned, Dylan probably started to give me a bit more ball and things like that. But I, I didn't. I did definitely uh, take a step back and concentrate on what I could control internally, what I could start doing myself to improve the outcomes that I wanted to succeed at. There were definitely external factors also that would have contributed to my success. But uh, when people ask me what I did to change, then there's definitely um, some things there that, that I altered to improve my, my position. There's a saying when you're happy and balanced outside of your career, whatever that career is, you perform better in your career. Mm. I've, I've seen that with you as well, that stability, more understanding of who you are. I think studying for you has helped you get stability as well. So you've got something to go to after. But your approach to the game, especially around mental skills, it's, I think both of you are leading the way on that. So before a game, it's really interesting, isn't it? Some players are there, oh, like running around and slapping them, like really sort of getting themselves up. Where you sit down, the first time I saw you, I thought you were asleep before a game. <laughs> what were you doing? Yeah, Tell I'm everyone. the only one that does it. <laughs> yeah, everyone who's new to the team, they come in and they're like, what's Laney it's quite, doing? Um, Where is he? What's he doing quite, over there? It's quite odd to look, look at if you don't. Well, you you, you what explain, what, what does he do? 
So is it what within before twenty minutes before warm up or something? About twenty like minutes that? before, yeah. You'll just see Laney sitting in his locker, eyes closed, if AirPods in, and um, you're thinking, like, mate, you're just about to run out in a footy game. Like, what are you doing? But like, when you understand the background of it and what he's trying to do, because obviously everyone, every individual has a different way of getting themselves right for a game, and that's his way, and it it works. So, yeah, keep doing it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I just I sit down twenty minutes before uh, warm up. I meditate, allows me to get my mind focused, ready to basically just be in the moment and yeah, click, gets me in the flow. Um, so it's not about a physiological arousal or relaxing or anything as much for me. The warm up takes care of that, that gets you ready to perform. But before the warm up, I make sure I get my mind ready to go. Could be any sort of drama or issues going on in your life externally to football or you could have woken up and you're having a crap day you didn't have a very good sleep or you're sick or these were the things that i was struggling with a bit more um at the start of the season but kind of once i made this kind of transition understood what i needed to do then it allowed me to just and i've been doing the meditation for a few years now but yeah it just kind of started to really click for me and i was just zoned in from that point onwards and it's 80 minutes you know you have two hours to concentrate on this one thing <laughs> and then you can get back to whatever else you've been doing for the rest of your day or whatever's going on dramas with your missus whatever but that 80 minutes it's just about that ball and what's happening at that current time that allows me to pretty much zone in for it we were in this studio a couple of months ago doing a talk for transport and you remember we went through a whole lot of stuff on mental skills and you spoke about your story and uh, Rita you won't know this and then at the end we asked questions does anyone want to ask me questions I think there was one guy and he was taking the piss yeah. said, can you work for a proper team go work for the Tigers <laughs> and I, I think I fight back you're a proper team are there any questions for Laney it was a virtual it went off didn't it Wizard we were here about half an hour later and I just stepped back and they loved your story and I think they connected with you being authentic and talking about the challenging times but also now seeing your success success and and i can't remember the exact words but it was from self-loathing and soothing i think you said you're having a couple of beers to taking responsibility you remember the actual quote you said oh, i can't remember mate. that was a while ago but it was interesting at, at that point when i've come and spoken to new south wales transport and it was pretty much from that point where i'd made the decision and everything started clicking for me on the field from from that point so that was almost like a a key moment for me moving forward through through the year because in the past you said you've you've blamed other people you've sort of got down a bit of a rut it was other people's problem but then you, you it's the man in the mirror right you took responsibility yeah. was that cumulative did that happen over time or was there one event where you went oh fuck i'm just sick of the excuses or feeling seeds is that the right word trying to get funky ready um yeah. was something hap that happened one off or was it just a, a build-up of events oh it's Mate, footy is, is challenging, like professional sport. You have to deal with so many people that you might disagree with or have an ego or they're just dickheads sometimes, you know, and you just like, it just brings out that anger in you or that frustration and you're just like, if only I could do this better or this and, or if only they change this. It's very easy to, to resort to that thinking because it's just innately built in us to, to look at what they're doing to us and say like, I know I can do this if only they changed. You can't, you don't have control of what they're doing. They're not going to change. Like these blokes are 
in their positions of power or whatever it may be, they're not going to change the way that they're thinking now. Like they, they're telling you what to do. You got to, you got to do it. You got to go out there and do it. You got, you got no choice. You have to be able to adapt to the change that's put in front of you, and do whatever you can to succeed in the situation that you're in. And for people listening to this who aren't in sport, it's just got so much relevance in the corporate world because life always changes, right? The markets could change, your boss could change, organisations change, and people go, oh, it's his fault, her fault, and they don't take agency over it. We'll bounce around and it's everyone else's problem for years and years. I'll put you on the spot, Reedy. What have you seen change in the big fella next year? I think he's just really owned his role and who he is and what he does for the team and... I see him as a real leader of the of the team without him not saying too much and when he speaks you listen and uh, that's sort of what I see and I think he's taken a real mature leadership role within the team and you can see how he's been playing it. That's how he's been acting it. Someone that I look to uh, when we need something. <laughs> but yeah, that's sort of how I see him, just more ma- mature and owning his role and doing what doing the good things that he's good at good. And the things that he doesn't, like, not so good, he would give it to someone else to do, if that makes sense, in a way. Um, just really owning his role, doing the things good he's good at. Yeah, that, that can be part of you being frustrated about not being given opportunity or time or whatever it may be. You go outside of your role to try and get the necessary attention or praise by trying to do something good outside of your role. But in, a, in our team sport, in rugby league, a lot of it is very, very clinical now in terms of every role is just you do this job, you do this job, you do this job. You don't have to do anything outside of it. And even if it's not to the best of your skill set, you have skills outside of it, it doesn't matter. If you go outside of your skill set, then you're doing someone else's job and it's not to what the team's direction is heading so yeah previous years i would have been guilty of doing that i was trying to flick different offloads from when it wasn't necessary and get involved in certain situations where it wasn't my job to things like that have you had time to reflect on the year just gone by to, to, to actually sit down and catch I've, up with i've it? been reflecting a little bit the last the last week or so but yeah, I think it was like I was I've seen your social media. You've been to the races. You've been yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but, but what, what have you reflected on? Because we, we've had this chat. The importance of it's called lag time. You know how others see you. So when Reedy says, "Yeah, he really looks up to you," and you've you've changed. You're calm, is the word I use. You're really calm under pressure. And I use you as an example with a lot of players. Look what Laney does, and you don't have to sit down like with your eyes closed before a game. But that's that calm presence. But catching up with how other people see you is a big part of evolution in skills, especially to teach to others. So what have you reflected upon? Yeah, well, I haven't reflected too much. Like I like I just said a little bit, been socialising and stuff, but. I just I just see what I did. I look back on what I've done in with with pride and it it gives me more ambition to kind of move forward doing the things that I've that I've done for the year and yeah, now talking to Reedy and understanding like the impact that I've made potentially had on him on the field and potentially with other players too, younger blokes in in the squad it, it provides me more motivation to continue moving forward and doing the same things and improving my strengths and reducing my weaknesses. And I'd love to see you continue like to get that representative footy. I know you've said this before. You've focused on playing for Para. If that comes, it's a bonus. God, it must have been tantalisingly close though for you, and to like, get that close. What, what's the motivation now for representative footy? Or what, what do you think about that? 
Yeah, well, in footy, when you're in footy for quite a while, you realise that rep footy is just a subjective matter, really. It's not about the runs that you have on the board. It's about what they're looking for in a particular player or position or, you know, it could come down to that player has played rep footy before and you haven't. And um, that may have played a role in the selection of the team this year. But, yeah, you can't control those things, mate, you know. Um, all I look to now for, for performance and for motivation is what I'm doing. I look back on the year with, with pride knowing that I did everything that I could to earn an Australia jersey. I would have been good for Australia too as well. If I know I would have done a job for them, but it's all good. You know, they went a particular direction um, and I can just use that as motivation to keep doing what I'm doing. And yeah, if they if I eventually play rep footy, then, then so be it. And I'll be uh, very grateful to do so. But if not, then I'm still a happy guy and I'm still living the dream. There's a saying in cricket, Laney, if you keep taking wickets and keep in front of the selectors one day eventually, they're going to have to do it. So um, it is just keep going, keep mm. pushing. Yeah, exactly right. Reedy, spotlight on you. Your breakout season was last year, wasn't it? When you really went to a whole different level. You played, uh, you're in the train on squad, Queensland State of Origin. Everything was going great until round 13 against Newcastle Knights, and then you did your shoulder. We'll, we'll, we'll sort of weave that in. But before that, what did you? What have you done, or what did you do to to go to that next level? Well, it was uh, yourself there, Andrew? Is um, when you first come to Power and you're talking to everyone as a group, and you know there's an opportunity for individuals to talk to you. And I've always there's been plenty of you know people come in and um, talk to us, and you know, I've always been that person. Well, got to give it a shot. You know what I mean? There's been times where I said, "No, nah, this is not working for me." and um, that time when I first sat down with you and I think that sort of that changed me completely and the way I see footy the way I prepare for footy and I was always just I'll just turn up to footy with my footy bag boots him and just go out and play and it sounds weird but I probably at that stage I probably played maybe maybe 60 or 70 NRL games by then and I sort of just turned up for footy and played and didn't understand it all and we talked about consistency and um, we spoke to the coach about my consistency and three weeks I'd be good or one week I'd be good and the next week I'd be different and you know I'd play a five out of ten and then next week I'll play a ten out of ten like I just didn't have any any consistency in my game and I wanted to change that I wanted to be better for myself I want to be better for the team and um, when we sat down and tried to you know understand why these things are happening and they're consistently happening is when I started to really changed my game and I think this was before the season started we might have we're talking am I correct yeah we did a couple you, you were the first player you were the first individual player that came to me yeah so yeah. and you know you got me to write down some things I can't remember what the first few things would have been uh-huh. um, um, I asked you to write down when go, go back in recent times a game where you starred yeah and, and what what did it feel like what did you do yeah and then go to a game where you struggled and i think we found it was only a two-week two period. weeks one was against newcastle i think yeah. one was against the raiders the raiders yes correct. and i said to you did you change your size your shape your speed and you looked at me like i'm an idiot which <laughs> players do regularly laney I went nah did they change the size of the field nah was it more than less than 80 minutes nah and i could just see the light went on so what was it it was in my head yeah and I probably and then we started speaking about you know the thing preparation before before a game and I you asked what do I do and I said just get my ankle strapped and you know get warm up and go out and there's obviously we found more to that 
Um, I started to find a bit more of a, um, what's the word, uh, schedule of uh, when I get to the game from the first meeting to kickoff and what I did between that sort of thing where, you know, mine's a bit different to, to Laney's. I sort of, uh, we'd have the meeting and then I'd have a shower and then I'd make sure I have a massage time the same time every week. I think I might jaw drop when I asked you. Because I was new in rugby league, I'd worked in other sports, so I was excited, like, you know, wagging my tail a bit, you know, like, really excited, but trying to work out your sport and your game. And I said, what do you do for your pre-performance routine? So uh, stepping outside of footy, people listening to this, a pre-performance routine is a proven way to help you with performance moments. So whether you're a singer, an artist, a footballer, whether you're just turning up for a relationship, you know, a, a routine of sorts gets you ready physically, psychologically, emotionally. So in track and field, where I grew up doing, you just have a warm-up and it was a real plan to get your body and brain ready. So when I said to you, what do you do? He said, nothing. I think I looked a bit shocked, but then I went, oh, man, that's a huge opportunity. And the pre-performance routine with an athlete, there's something the night before, there's something the morning of or before the game, and then there's the closeout. And I said to you once, like, why don't you do this? And I, I won't, I'll only allow you to share because I don't want to break any confidentiality. But I said to you, will you journal? You, you rocked up the next week and you had five pages. Great <laughs> student, Randy. Yeah, I was very fresh to it. I had, as you know, a little experience to any mental skills on performance. And when I started to work with you and write down things that, you know, sometimes you just walk in to think about it. But when you actually write down something, you start to understand a bit more and why you do certain things. Um, so I think when I once we sort of got a pattern going, I probably started to play my best footy that I've ever played. It wasn't that I did less passes or more passes or I trained harder or anything like that. It was actually getting my mental state right. And as Landy touched on early on, no matter what's going on at home or what happened two hours before you went to the field, like I've had times where my mum and my and all that are down and I tell them we're leaving at this time and they're still not ready and that really pisses me <laughs> off. Yeah. Like little things like that, it might affect someone else, but I learned to just, once I walk through them gates, that's it. And then it sort of took on from that and probably for 13 rounds, I played my best footy I've ever played and yeah, and then, and then the shoulder. And, and just for people listening as well, thank you. I, I love hearing that it's made a difference, but you work your ass off as well. Like both of you, you're there early, you're there late you don't leave any stone unturned. No, I think that's one way to put it is, you know, I'd be embarrassed if I did leave it, you know what I mean? And I didn't try my hardest and how could you sleep at night if you didn't try your hardest? That's how I sort of see it and that's how I sort of play is with passion and just give it your all and stuff like that. So you've been there in the state of origin one, you're in the squad, you're one player away from making your debut or being on the bench. And then the following week you injured your shoulder and you have a major surgery. That was pretty hard, wasn't it, to process? Yeah, it was a big couple of weeks. You know, I knew I was somewhat in contention. I got tipped up by one of the coaches and, you know, it was, it was really a real odd week. I got told by everyone that I was playing. Um, no one knew the team, but that squad was out. Then I go into camp and spend a couple of nights there and then I find out, I think actually the Parramatta team list got dropped. Uh, came out and I was number nine and I thought oh, okay maybe he's just announced that then I find out that I'm you know not playing which it hurt at the time but I was just still happy to be there you know what I mean it was 19 players out of the whole NRL hurt a bit and then um, you know I went home a few days later and, and then on that Sunday when I was still in camp I was supposed to go back to camp the next day and I fairly played a pretty good game that day and um, yeah 
three minutes to go. I popped my shoulder out. Couldn't go back into camp. Uh, and then spent six, seven weeks on the sideline and it just, it hurt. Like I was so close, but yet so far. And now I've got to start again. And I think the guy that was in my position that played actually got injured for game two. Did a hammy, didn't he? Um, and I was sort of pushing myself to be able to be ready for game three because I played the following week, but it just didn't happen. And then obviously came back for four or five weeks playing quite busted. My shoulder wasn't great, couldn't do any weights and um, tried to just get through it for the, t- for the team because I knew that I had to be there. And uh, yeah, then it happened again. And then, um, yeah, it was quite, quite emotional because I knew the season was done. We just moved to Queensland as well as, a, as NRL did and uh, something really hard that I took and that's just who I am and I wear my heart on my sleeve. And But I think I've learnt a lot about that and I think this year was probably, um, I played every game. I think I learned a lot, something from last year and maybe was out too much, you know, doing not the wrong thing, but could have done better things to put myself in a better position and... But yeah, I guess you always you learn from your mistakes in a way. I wanted to interview both of you. and I, I, I didn't really know what messages were going to come out. I think I just said to you, like, we'll do the start, we'll do now, and we'll do the future. There's a real parallel between you two around resilience, around lack of ego and humility, around community and looking out for other people. And I, I think that's something for all people, you know, is a, something to strive for to not get caught up in ego and to constantly improve and to learn from other people. So Laney, when you hear Reedy's story about that, what, what do you think or sort of looking up or looking over the last couple of years, what's your synopsis? Yeah, I'm pretty proud of Reedy to, to be able to do what he's done and understanding more about his, his childhood and uh, things about his family and things like that. It just goes to show that a lot of people have a lot larger story. There's a lot more to it than what you even realise and um, I wasn't even aware for a long time that Reedy was working with you and doing these, practicing his mental skills and improving his performance that way. But it was definitely noticeable on the field. And yeah, I'm sure that moving forward f- with his career, um, it's going to continue to benefit him. And I think that uh, even though he's not with us anymore, I think he's going to go to a different team and probably be able to utilize his skill set a-, a bit better in that system, understanding what our system's like. And I think. We spoke about Rep 40 for myself, but moving forward for Reedy, it's a real possibility as well. And I'm looking forward to seeing what he's what he's going to be able to do over there at the Bulldogs. It's a nice segue into the future, isn't it? So you've signed yeah. a four-year contract with the Bulldogs. Um, I saw you through there with some ups and downs and you deliberated because of loyalty and the team and you've got a new future at the Bulldogs. So excited mm. about that? Yeah, I am. I think... Um I, feel, I found without knowing the last probably since I think it was December I signed the contract, the last you know 10 months has been not hard, but it's always been in the back of my mind. And um, I sort of said to myself at the start of the year and just tried to really embrace the boys. There's a great bunch of blokes you know, at the team and just tried to really enjoy my time there. And I think I f- sort of, sounds weird, but I sort of found more, got more in love with footy just gave gave it my all this year like something a bit different that I've done in previous years is just everything I did at home you know didn't drink as much you know it's obviously a big part of footy sometimes is after a win or, or that year where you get the long weekend is to go out and have beers but I sort of just wanted to give my all to footy and you know obviously off the, off the back of last year and only playing 
you know, 17 games, being able to come this year and play a full, you know, wherever, how many we played, 28 games or something like that, something pretty proud of. So, but it's been, um, I think, look back now, it's, I'm excited, but I'm nervous at the same time. It's, um, I've been at Parramatta since I was 17 years old, 18 years old, and lived in Parramatta area for that long. And it's a, it's a big challenge, new club, um, new players, new coaches. But yeah, I'm looking forward to it, to go there and, see what I can you know, be able to give to the, the t- current team that's there. And there's obviously a few other blokes there that I'm looking forward to playing with and new coach. And so, yeah, I'm something that I'm, um, you know, sad to leave. But um, I think uh, for the future, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. Is it a bit like new school? Like, you know, when you go to a new school and you're the new kid and fit in, what, what is it like when yeah. you go to a new club? Like, I, I know where your locker is, you know. Every, it's muscle memory, right? When you guys rock up to Kellyville, you just – you wouldn't think. But on first day, like, where do the cool kids sit? Where's the bar play? You know, where do you yeah. play handball? All that sort of stuff. Yeah, well, I don't really know much, but probably Laney probably knows a bit more about that <laughs> than me. Teams, I know plenty about that. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, it's something that I think – I haven't really spoken too much about it or to anyone, but I think, um, not that I was comfortable, but I think I was ready f- for a change. I don't think that's a bad thing. And um, I wanted a new challenge. Um, that's who I am. I want to challenge myself. And it's not that I wasn't getting challenged where I was. I just want to be challenged by a different group of people and different minds of how they see the game and stuff like that. And I, I see myself, uh, you know, I'm small, but in, within the footy uh, world, but see myself as somewhat a, a leader, and I, I care for people, and I want to win, and that's why I somewhat want to go over there and sort of be a bit more of a leader. And um, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. That leadership uh, down the track does it mean captaincy? Is that a goal you would have down the track? Oh, I mean, if you you get that, it'd be you know an honour. But I mean, it's something that I've always thought about, and I've been captains for when I was a younger kid, and that, and it's just a different feeling. So. But I'll go there and put my best foot forward. And but I've sort of said to myself um, over the last few weeks, and obviously because I blew out a lot last year, <laughs> as uh, in the Fat Club until about February. And you had a good off season. I did, but I, it didn't help uh-huh. that I was in a brace for twelve weeks. And oh, you had um, a good time in Queensland, mate. We, had, we did have I a good mean, time in, in AFL. Uh, they often say you know, when people have a good off season that they ate a pig. Yeah, like you swallowed the whole farm. That's oh amazing. yeah, I think I put on about four or five kilos, and my skin folds went through the roof and. Um, it's good for yeah. the soul, mate. It was. It was I do have a good you need time. To enjoy your time off. Um, but yeah, something that I'm um, thought to myself. You know, I'm not going to go there and try and be someone I'm not. Going to go there and be Reed and earn my respect through my actions and uh, work hard. When you say that to be Reed, I I think you've really matured the last couple of years. I f- I feel that you're a lot more comfortable with who you are as well. Is that the yeah, you're I, having and you is, want to take to the Bulldogs and what when I say that what what does that mean? Just you know, I feel I'm can be quite uh, ish, I wouldn't know if a sheltered would be the word, but quite feel little in a way, if that makes sense, and not really confident and there was many times we were in a video session and I'd know the answer, but I'd be too worried about what other people think about my answer, sort of thing. Mm-hmm. That's a good way to put it. But then when I understood and we did more things with, with yourself um, and understood who I was and and then when I found my, my purpose, which is a bit of a funny story, but um, I sort of really lived and breathed who I was and be proud of who you are and where you come from and the things you've done to get to where you are and you know the roads you've had to take. So, yeah, that's 
sort of it's been good part of our evolution as adults is you know we, we start at an area we go to the next area and we change sometimes people around us don't see that change so I, i've seen that so it's been good and i'm looking forward to seeing how you take that you know evolved reedy to the bulldog mm-hmm. so i think you'll feel comfortable with speaking up and you know, being that that next as you said level of leader yeah yeah looking forward to it what, what do you take big guy when you look at him and um that evolution of reedy yeah it's been interesting seeing blokes like Reedy and Dylan develop from the young blokes that they were when I first got to the club into the, the men that they are now. And I think that um, you, it's easy to be apprehensive about a, a change because people naturally don't like change. But just listening to what Reedy said about embracing it and utilizing it to, to better himself again and enjoy the challenge of what lies ahead, um, I think he's really well suited to what what is to come and he's sounding like a leader already you know so i think he's going to use the experience that he's gained from para and obviously we had a great year we have a, a bunch of um kind of leaders in our in our squad who have a fair bit of experience and, and knowledge and reedy's learned from that and from the experiences that we've been through and he's going to be able to take that over to uh, a team who probably is lacking a little bit that of that at the moment and i think um Serato will probably recognize that and I have a good feeling about uh, Reedy's, Reedy's move to the Bulldogs. I think it'll be well for uh, What's it like well. when you play a teammate? Like he's been there feeding you the ball for years and now suddenly you're clashing heads against each other. Do you like, have a bit of a sledge? You, well, how's it work? Well, I actually can't, can't wait. Big Reggie, I reckon. Me, <laughs> yeah. me and Big Reggie are... Uh, <laughs> We'll I'm, definitely go at it. I'm not one to uh, sledge. Like no one. When I verse an old teammate, it's more just like have a laugh or something. But yeah, like it's funny because Reedy and Reg have a bit of history already. With uh, when Reg played for for Penrith, they <laughs> almost you? had that there. Yeah, yeah so it was round one, 2019. Reg was still at uh, Penrith. Right. Um, we got a penalty, and I sort of tried to do a quick tap, and he was offside, and he just grabbed me by the back of my collar. Just cold. He just picked me up like a little child. Right. And then I sort of, he threw me to the ground and I threw him to the ground and we we're at each other. And then I think it was about <laughs> 10 minutes later, um, <laughs> I got given the ball for offload and I palmed him off and I scored. Yeah. Um, so when he first came to the club, we, I went, sh- went straight at him. <laughs> I said, you want to go? Like, let's go. Um, we've always been each other, like, we love. Um, but it's something that, you know, he would try and run over right. and take my head off. But it was, you yeah. like taking the big guys in the uh, um, finals match against Canberra. Was it Junior laughing? You were trying to take on their yeah, front rows? <laughs> oh, I was just trying to protect my little mate Mitch, but uh, yeah, it wouldn't end it too well. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I loved the nobleness, but yeah, I could see that ending. Yeah, a bit it. stupid when I sat down and thought about it. But. Yeah. <laughs> NRL Grand Final. Making it exciting, the build-up to it. It was huge in the, in the lead-up in the week. Uh, then getting beaten by Penrith, uh, they just played at a different level didn't they mm. so Reedy what, what was your take I think going into the the game before quite nervous you know what I mean this is we hadn't been to this far bef- last five years or so and once we got the job done it was like a bit of a sign of a, it was a feel of relief and excitement and it was like an unbelievable experience during the week and I'm a bit of a person where I'd you know I've spoken to a few people the last few weeks and I'd rather be playing in it and lose then sitting at home watching it on TV. I get quite jealous that sort of way. You know, that heads off to them. They were they were really great. Like they were they would have beaten anyone that night and you know, just be a part of it and experience it. And I think it's something 
you know, people say you got to lose one to win one. And um, to be able to experience now, I know next time I play, I'll know what I need to. Because I think at the start of the game, I sort of went away from what I do best and sort of tried to be physical, like obviously try and um, smash someone in a way. Um, but it didn't work for me. Um, that's not what I would usually do. It was just when you ran out, it was just, just you got. I just got this feeling. I'm like, oh, you just didn't feel nothing. It was, it was, it was good. A great experience, and um, hopefully one day get back there. And you were very emotional at the end. I could see when you were walking around acknowledging the crowd. You, you, you as you said before, you wear your heart on your sleeve. But you, you did look like the emotion was bubbling up. I was okay with you know the loss. I, I accepted it at the end. It was more the fact that, you know, I had some of the boys come up to me and, and say, oh, I'm going to miss you playing with you. I'm going to miss playing with you. I'm going to miss you. And it was four or five in a row. And I spent, oh, that's what got me the Tears, most was yeah. the people in within the team that, you know, that's what, got, what I got so emotional and it hurt sitting there sitting there collecting their rings. And, you know, I know as a group and individual individuals in the team, we're all going to be better for it um, football-wise. So just for me, moving to a new club, it's – Something I want other team people to feel being in that week because it's quite busy. It's enjoyable, so um, yeah, great experience. Laney, mm. in the week leading up to it, everyone everyone says to you like try and enjoy the week. For me, the week was just so busy. It was it was quite exhausting, really. And it's something it's unlike anything that you you go through at other any other point in your career. I was happy to get to grand final day and be like all right, finally, the game's here. This is what we actually have been doing all this other crap for. Um, let's rip into it and get this done. So I was excited to play the game. And, you know, I think the end of the day, we, we made the road quite difficult for ourselves, having to lose that first week and then go through Canberra and, and Cowboys to make it to the GF, whereas you could you could kind of just see that Penrith had that extra fuel in the tank to, to, to come over us physically and, we we knew we needed to play our best game of footy to to beat them that night, and we didn't we didn't really uh, yeah stand a stand a chance. I don't think uh, when you watch the game back, they were just kind of all over us right mm. from the get go. And the, the speed, their line speed in that first half was like what I think the state of origin second game Queensland. It was very similar to that. And I actually a question for you guys. I'm thinking if they put the New South Wales or Queensland state of origin team against that Panthers grand final team, I reckon they would have gone. Neck yeah, neck yeah, them. no. I think um, I've had plenty of people come up and and say that to me in the last few weeks. You know, it's just well, the Panthers team mostly made up the New South Wales team in in games two and three. I think it was so, and they would have outperformed that New South Wales team. I I, I think so. That Panthers team just about beats any team almost in history. Like I don't <laughs> like they're one. Of, they're probably the best team in the modern era. They've made three GFs in a row. They've won two. That squad is, is some amazing talent, you know. Um, How do you beat them next year? They're losing a few players. We're losing a few as well. Dogs will beat them, so. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, mate, it's going to be challenging. Like I said, you got to be on your game. you got to be performing at the the pinnacle of your, your team's performance, and that's what they did. Um, we're one of the only teams that if we do that too, then we can go toe-to-toe with them and... It didn't happen that night. We've got to give ourselves the best chance in the lead up to it. If you're going to make the GF, then preferably it's a bit more fresh and not having used a bunch of petrol up in North Queensland the week before. But yeah, it's a learning experience, I think. And they all say you've got to lose a grand final to win one. 
I was hoping that wouldn't be the case, but look, it's just another challenge for us in a uh, learning opportunity. Uh, purpose, you mentioned before that discovering purpose. Um, how, you can go how much or how little, uh, but around your purpose, so you can either explain it or you can explain what has it done, how has it helped understanding your purpose? Well, when you first, um, after probably eight or 10 months of talking and doing some stuff, you spoke about my purpose and I had no idea what you were talking about. You thought I was an idiot. Uh, you looked at me Yeah, I said, what do you mean? And I, in my head at the start, I thought, oh, this could be this. I'd write something on a piece of paper. And you said, no, it could take you one year, two years. You just you just don't know. And you were saying, I remember when you said, oh, let's catch up. And I hadn't actually done anything because I just opened my book and I was like, I don't, I don't know. And I just, one night I just sat there and I think I wrote three or four pages of just anything that comes to my head. And it was just all about my family and my friends and the people around me and me wanting to be the best and the legacy that I leave and the people that I can help and bring with me. And and you said it could take a while to find that and you said write it in two sentences. I said, mate, come on, like, how is this possible? How is this actually possible? Um, and I went down to a wedding um, down the coast one night and uh, I was driving home and I had a few words what I already had in mind sort of thing and don't tell this to the uh, New South Wales government when you do things. <laughs> but uh, I was you, driving. You, you pulled over. Yeah, yeah, I pulled over. And I was driving and um, had my partner in the car and, you know, we're just chilling. We weren't really talking much. It was late at night. And I just was just thinking about things. And I just grabbed my phone and started, you know, writing stuff down. And she goes, stop texting. What are you doing? And I'm like, no, nah, I, I couldn't put the phone down. Like I just said, no, nah, I have to write this down. And I sort of wrote it down and maybe with two or three sentences. And once I stopped and got home, I put it in a sentence and I sent it to you and then told you the story of how it happened. But it was really weird. It was like one o'clock in the morning, I'm driving home from a wedding and something just clicked in my head and I've sort of stuck with it. And it sort of, in a way, changed how I see things and do things, footy and non-footy. But yeah, it's been probably one of the best things that I've done. I remember you uh, texting me the following day, can we catch up? Like, I, I need to catch up. And I could sort of feel the excitement in the text. I think we caught up on the Tuesday or Wednesday. And you went, I've got it. What? I've, my purpose. And you told me the story driving back. And I said, oh, that's great. But when you get a purpose that's bigger than the game you play or bigger than the career you've got, it allows you to really grow into all different parts of your life. And I'm really, I'm proud of both of you for doing that. And I'm really proud of you, the work you do with Giant Steps. Hmm. And... I just, you light up when you talk about that in a different way that you don't light up in other parts. It's something that you probably, it's hard to explain and I've met so many great people. Uh, so I've just jumped into it. Can you explain what Giant Steps so is? Giant Steps is a uh, school with kids and adults with autism. And it's, it started out when I was uh, 18 years old and one of the boys was actually working there and I was working in a schools as a uh, teacher's aide and he's always come home talking about how good it was and I finally got a crack to go do it. And my first day was terrible because you know, these these kids and adults have that are on the spectrum, you know, they're quite intelligent people and they know when a new face comes in and they take absolute mickey out of you. And I remember first day as a young kid and you know he wanted to play with the hose and we weren't allowed to have the hose and then he stole the key out of my pocket and it sort of started <laughs> like that. And then I started working there for a, you know, a year or two and something that, I took with pride and just being able to give back to people that are in need. You don't understand the difficulties that their family has to go through to, you know, support them. And 
in that journey i've met some really great parents that there's a guy now that is probably one of like a dad figure to me and we talk quite regularly about things and life not just footy and obviously i you know used to work with his son on occasions and it's just something that i've really enjoyed doing and then becoming an ambassador not, not that i wanted to for the picture or the anything it was just more something to put a title on because they were they knew that how much i loved it and being able to go to uh charity days and um you know the people the money that they raised for these kids that need it so uh, it's genuine because i know you do it and you do a lot that you don't amplify uh you know sometimes people do that because they've been told or it's a tick the box but with you it's it's deep like you you get a lot out of it yeah and i i enjoy it um i like helping me out on the charity days and um you know it's one of those things that i don't really tell people or in a way i don't you know put it anywhere i just go and do it because it makes me feel good and it's it's helping the parents that are going through it and mm. bringing the kids there and stuff like that is it's enjoyable and um have you got a whole bunch of Parramatta fans there is a few there is a few kids um it's gonna be good for jersey sales now isn't it yeah <laughs> <laughs> I think, yeah well the son um young jojo he's got a fair bit of my gear and he's actually when i first met him he was quite small and now he's like my height and he, so he's still small yeah he does. <laughs> but for what he was um he's he's got all my cl- all my clothes that i don't want i give to him that's awesome um but no it's it's, it's good and um so my clothes hold close to my heart so uh blue and white now he's got to get rid of the yellow doesn't it yeah i need to yeah fix him up yeah yeah <laughs> laney your future so we've spoken about the study where are you at on that yeah, I've got a few units left in my grad diploma of psychology that I'm studying. Um, I've already got a health science degree under my belt. So I'm just doing a psychology sequence to catch me up and hopefully move into a master's of coaching psychology. That's the aim. And then uh, how will you use that? You're still young. How many mm. years of footy have you got left in that body? Well, I'm signed another four years at Paris, so that'll get me to 32 with footy mate you can't really forecast forecast any more than like the year ahead of you you know so just see how the body's feeling at that point and then make decision from there and and see how we go with football but um yeah i'll be studying for a little bit while i'm doing that and yes similar with once i'm done the study we'll see see how things go from there how how does that help you uh outside footy so we've spoken about some of the stuff reedy does how does the study help you? Is it switching off? Is it? I've actually I've never asked you this, and I wanted to. So podcast is a great time, right? Mm. Is it more confidence that there's something after footy, or is it something else? Is it just exercising the brain? Um, a little bit of all of that. But um, when I was studying my well, health well, science does degree, it, does it impress the ladies? Uh, <laughs> of course. That's what he said. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> They go, oh, can you read my mind? No. <laughs> uh, so when I was studying health science, I, I kind of lacked a bit of direction in, in my purpose and kind of where I was going. I kind of thought I wanted to do this or this. And so I, I studied this broad degree health science because I didn't really know what I wanted to get into after football. It was just kind of something there on the side. Um, once I started to understand through my own life experiences, through some of the things that I went through, what meant the most to me where my purpose was that's when i started to realize like what i actually wanted to do what the purpose that football could serve for me in the overall scheme of what i wanted to do with my life and where i wanted to go and psychology fit into that also so 
the two kind of work in tandem for me. I can study whilst playing football, which is very, very beneficial. And football pays for my study at the same time. And yeah, doing both to the best of my ability, it's still I'm still capable of doing so and moving forward in the in the one direction to where, where well, I want to be. It's smart, isn't it? Like you're playing professional footy, you live in a childhood dream, hanging out with your mates. It's like it's it's. I, I won't underestimate for people how tough it is. I see you guys in season, and if you can't play through injuries, you don't play. Mm. So I think a lot of people who watch go, oh, they must be fine because they don't have injuries. But I, I know you've played through some horrendous injuries in the last year, and, and Reedy, you as well. Um, so it's not all you know, beer and Skittles. But having that ability to do that, and then when you do wrap up at 32, you go overseas and you know, a bit of superannuation, playing over in England <laughs> for a while. Uh, <laughs> but it must give you a real comfort. Yeah, well, you go through such physical anguish, like such emotional roller coaster. The experience of being a professional athlete is just unlike anything else. It's once you're able to get through some of these these things that you go through, these experience in your life, it just gives you such confidence and of what you're capable of as a person to overcome resilience and overcome uh, to have resilience to overcome obstacles in your life. Yeah, like you said, it's you're playing through physical anguish every every week. You're going through physical pain every day at training, um, and it's unlike anything else. Like every day? Oh, for sure. For, like from. So off season, I imagine you heal round one. But when, when did you pick up injuries this year? I think I injured my sternum in like round two or something, and also injured my AC at the same time, and then had like finger injuries from preseason. And like by the end, I was getting strapped it's, for like twenty minutes. Yes, it's hard. I, like I have four, so you, so four pads on my body or something. I like, saw you one day. You yeah. look like this matador. Yeah. Like, yeah, like yeah, everyone actually, pays me out about your it. chest. <laughs> like, I thought it was junior. Like you yeah. know, you had the big barrel chest. Yeah, no, it's, it's so from round one you were carrying injuries. Round two or something. Yeah, that was the most excruciating pain I've ever been in playing. The next week against Melbourne, I think it was, and you have blokes like. Big Nelson just like running square right into your chest, <laughs> and like I don't know if anyone's ever had a had a rib cartilage injury before. It's some of the worst pain you can go through, just when it's resting or if you move incorrectly or, or something like that. And to have someone just exert brute force right on the point of injury, even with like a little pad, does nothing, mate. It was just well, Big Nelson, excruciating. Two tall I think I remember that game kilos. actually. Yeah, it was excruciating. Uh, I'm, I'm begging to come off, and <laughs> we didn't so have any, we didn't have any other back rowers to come on for me, and I'm just like staring at the trainers, like please, I'm like almost crying. And then they're like, we, we need you to get through this. We need you to get through this. Like, yes. we finished the game, and I've just like almost started crying, like the. The amount of relief that I had that we had won the game, I hadn't lost my team the game. I've got through it. Oh, my, it was crazy, the amount what, of pain. What's, what's the I come down like after that, though? Because like, pushing through that pain, did you yeah. just crash? Oh, yeah, such relief. And like after after I kind of just sat back and had a few beers and stuff, I'm just like, oh, you, you always reflect after every game the things that you went through. And sometimes you can be going through other difficult things. Then you get through the 80 minutes of work that you put in, you're like – man, everything else is nothing compared to this. Like this, it really just gives you that extra strength to overcome anything else that you're experiencing. So when someone uh, works in a bank or professional services or a government department, Laney, or they're self-employed and they go, oh, you don't know how hard it is. I've got to put more information into this Excel spreadsheet. <laughs> you must just look at it. There was actually something uh, during the year that sort of changed my mindset a bit. And it was um, 
I think we played Tigers at Leichhardt and um, the night before, about six, seven o'clock, I started feeling real not well. And um, I remember I had some really bad, you know, vomiting coming out of like, both ends. It was not good. And that went on till probably seven o'clock the next morning. I probably had one or two hours sleep and I just kept constantly like vomiting. Same time. It was terrible. And I'm thinking to myself, by the time I probably had four hours sleep. And it was probably one or two o'clock and we had to be at the game at 5.30 and the coach is texting me and I'm going, mate, just let me get to the game and see how I go. And I play with that. And that was probably one of the worst things I've ever done. It was probably 20 minutes in the game. I said, no, I, I can't. I can't do this. And then the whole time I'm just thinking, get me off, get me <laughs> off. And I think from that, I was like, if I can play that bad, like, and I actually played okay. And... I'm thinking to myself every game, if I can play that decent when I was didn't eat any food, drink no water, I was getting injections at this game saying, Doc, give me something that's going to pump me up, something. I just had nothing. Didn't talk to anyone the whole game. And I said, if I can get through that and when I play when I'm healthy, then I can – and that's what is a bit of a green light for me that mm. during the year. Yeah, so, you, yeah, you go through countless experiences like mm. that, like the more games you rack up and – as a kid, you don't really realise that you're going to have to go through these games where a, f a standard first grade, grade, uh, grade game is challenging enough. But when you're experiencing like severe gastro or the flu, there was this game where we all had to play against Penrith and we all had the flu. We all got off our deathbeds. Most other teams, like everyone's resting because this flu was that bad. We had like five blokes it's, it's playing unreal. in the like game. That, I think a training that week oh, was a ghost town. I think there was probably six of us at training that yeah. week. And it I was so bad. I think it went on for like three weeks. Everyone mm. still had this flu for. And you're just playing week in, week out. And you're just like turning up to the game going, I don't know how I'm going to do this. But then like you just try and zone in mm. and do what you can. And you, you might not be able to do it to the best of your ability, but like knowing that you went through it and you gave it a crack and you learn something each week about what you're actually capable of, mm. um, really empowering. I think it comes down to your mental strength as well. And when you talk about injuries, like playing through them, it's before that you have to worry about getting mm. yourself. You know, I remember uh, this year I had a bit of a sternum problem on and off and I think it was four or five weeks I'm getting needled in my chest before a game so that completely numbs my whole chest then I put a pad on but it's a thought of I've got to play through it imagine if I get hit there again I've got to get needle I hate I hate needles I just don't like them and I've got to get, sit on the doctor's bed get that needle then go out and play it's you, quite challenging your body has this like unconscious reaction knowing that you're about to just like exert yourself into this full contact right in your chest and it kind of just like you don't want to get into the contact because yeah, yeah. your body's trying to protect itself and it's like you have to train your own body to like stop its innate reaction of preventing pain you have to force yourself so to a to normal person listening to this they I, I don't understand like you know I've told both of you my <laughs> rugby league days finished at Yas Magpies under 13 so <laughs> yeah. I think um, BA team. said if you ever come to me for rugby league advice I can get out of here <laughs> um yeah, so that's foreign to me. Like uh, mm. running, you. Did, I, I think as athletes, track and field, we're high maintenance. You got a little niggle, we stop. Yeah, like, yeah. I, I, I've Probably spoken to best. mates of mine post. I think we are, we are prima donnas, but how do you train that? So when when you feel a sternum injury and you're running at Nelson, who's six foot six or seven hundred twenty four, hundred twenty five mm. kilos. Well, the way I do it is I just kind of break it down into 
only looking at the task ahead of me and then forcing myself to do that task regardless of whatever emotional thoughts that I'm having or any sort of other distracting things that I'm that I'm doing. Mm. Um, but yeah, the, the way I describe it, I'm like, imagine if you had a, a, a pot full of hot water and it's like you got to intentionally put your hand in this pot full of hot water. Your body's not going to want to do it. You're going to get close. You're like, oh, but you got you got to do it. So you just got to go, well, I'm going to put my hand in this hot water. Boom. <laughs> it's like you're going through pain. You're forcing yourself to do it, but you know that you're not going to die from it. Or That's why I'm sitting on the sidelines. Yeah, yeah, it's very <laughs> difficult, man. So, at the same time, it's relieving. Yeah, you know, yeah. once that you get past that, you know, well, here's my sheet of the things I've got through and here's yeah. my sheet of things that yeah. Yeah, I've got to, exactly right. got to do. And you go, well, let's weigh them up. I can get over this. Well, I can do this yeah. easily. The mm-hmm. next time you're so, going through a difficult time, you can just look back on what you've been able to get over, what you've been able to accomplish. Um, I, I read, I listened to David Goggins' book and he always talks about how he has bang, his, his little, bang, his little cookie Goggins. jar. Yeah. He refers to it, his little cookie jar of things that he's done. And obviously his cookie jar is very expansive of all the ultra marathons and hell weeks that he's done for yeah. the Navy SEALs and things like that. But it's kind of uh, something like that. It's anytime you're going through something difficult, you look back on what you've been able to go through before and you just go, oh, it's going to be yeah. t- I, I, I need to get into – maybe I'll get his book because when I look at his videos, you know, he's running along and he's always got someone following him and he's got yeah. his, his, his rip, right? He's, oh, he's hilarious. Like, pain, pain's just fucking weakness leaving the body. I remember when I was in the forces. <laughs> Everyone's yeah. insane. Well, so with that, the guy that uh, – Ned that just did WA to Bondi. Oh, what a legend. I've been thinking the last couple of days, I'm like, how do you actually – how do you get through yeah. that? 100 yeah. kilometers what, what's a day. in your head? Like and he talks di- about it. He says he, he said he was gone, mm. but he'd some, his purpose should bring him back. Yeah, exactly. But like, that is unbelievable. Well, um, actually gave me, when I was watching the video, it gave me like, it was 10 o'clock last night. I'm going, I'm going for a run. Like, that's the <laughs> sort of energy I got off him. Like that's, it was yeah. absolutely unreal. How far did you go? No, I didn't run. <laughs> <laughs> I went to Macca's and got ice cream. <laughs> I swear to God. <laughs> I was like, oh, I mean the day before. I'm, I so I actually went and got ice cream. <laughs> so Ned, you almost got him. But look, his purpose, uh, purpose has to be something bigger than you, something that's future-oriented and something that excites you. So you don't run from Western Australia to Sydney unless you've got a massive, yeah, massive Yeah, it was purpose. unbelievable. Now, I'm loving our chat. I'm conscious uh, podcast could go, how long, wizard, have we been going for? Hour 15, right. Let's go to the crystal ball. We're going to use Laney's hat as a crystal ball. Uh, post-career, Laney, put your hands over the crystal ball. What are you doing? What, what does an average day look like in the life of Sean Lane? I don't know. What does it look like for Andrew May? That's, that's what I'm aiming towards. Yeah, it could be working with sports teams, could be working with uh, corporate businesses, but I see myself becoming a mental skills coach or along those lines and I could see myself potentially getting into professional sports coaching as well. But yeah, it's still a long way away. And one thing that I've learned throughout my career and throughout my life is you're not going to be able to forecast what, where you're going to be at. And in five years' time, you know, you can only really say what's going to motivate you and where you want to be within like the next year or, or so, you know. But like that's definitely where I see my life, my life's trajectory. I'm going to correct you. You are a mental skills coach. <laughs> you're, just, you're just not paid for it. You are. You, you're a, I. You know this. I've been telling people for the last two years, because you know, sometimes they will feel funny talking to me or 
well, for whatever reason, I said, just go talk to Laney. So you, you've been doing my job for me. <laughs> uh-huh. You uh-huh. have. Give me a cut of the salary that you got. Leave more of that. Yeah, uh, pockets. Just let him borrow the I'll teach. Yeah. Let him borrow the unit on the website. NRL integrity unit. There's nothing going on there. I will teach you some other schools that I stuffed up. And you'll surpass me in your first year. Ready? Crystal ball? I think mine's a bit different. I th- I'm obviously a lot younger than, than Laney and I'm still trying to figure out what I want to do when I finish footy. I've done multiple courses, you know, fitness and diploma of business and I went to uni uh, for about one and a half years and that wasn't for me. I'm obviously just new to the property market myself, which has been fun. Um, renovating is not as easy as what I thought it was. Um, <laughs> not that I'm doing it myself, but trying to organise trades and stuff like that is quite hard. Um, luckily, I've got my finance guy that's helping me out. But I've just started doing my building course. So I'm thinking um, you know, that I can do some sort of building and something along them lines where I'm not actually the builder. I'm, you know, get a builder to build and get a plumber to blue plumbing sort of thing. So something along them lines, but something that I'm still trying to trying to work out. So... But yeah, it's something along them lines, I think. Yeah, and look, it takes time, it really does. And I think the key thing uh, for everybody is to explore and try different things. Laney, I think he's going to be the modern day Benny Elias. He'll own half of Sydney, Rudy. <laughs> Hope so. <laughs> All right. The last thing I want to do with both of you is the performance intelligence baker's dozen. Rudy, you can go first on this. I've got thirteen rapid fire questions. The first answer. Just what are these it. questions about? Because. You're he's bad. very. He's a lot more. You're about book to smart than me. <laughs> yeah, it's still no, it'll you're be simple. Street Little smart. They're simple. <laughs> Little answers. Right, so okay. number one, your favourite song or band? Favourite song or band? Um, I'm a bit of an old school heart, so um, can't go past a bit of Cold Chisel. I don't mind. Ah, oh, nice. Two, your favourite movie? Favourite movie? Don't really know. Actually, I'm not sure. <laughs> I don't, don't know. Don't look at me. <laughs> <laughs> Three. Uh, we'll just say Nemo. Okay, we need an answer. Wolf of Wall Street. <laughs> no, it's good, <laughs> good, good movie. Okay. okay. Three, your favourite book. Favourite book? Um, I've been trying to get into books, uh, but I've actually just started reading uh, American Sniper, so I'm really enjoying that. Nice. Number four, your favourite possession? Favourite possession. As in a, like an item? Yeah. Or? Any possession. I don't know. I'd say my, my house. Yeah. Number five, your favourite food? Favourite food. Um, love sushi. Now, question six: What time do you wake up and go to bed each day? Um, depends on the schedule, but around you know nine, ten o'clock, and then get up at you know seven, seven thirty. Seven. Do you have a morning routine? Um, not really. Oh, I, actually, you know what I do? I have a shower and get get in the car and go grab a coffee. And when if I don't do that, then my whole day spirals out of control. <laughs> uh, eight. What is one of your favourite fitness routines? Fitness routines. Just uh, love doing like any sort of bike or off feet sort of conditioning stuff. Question nine. I normally ask my corporates, tell me a go-to productivity tip, but I'll ask you a different question. What's one of your big things you do to stay organized? Uh, I did have one of those apps, but that didn't work for me. Um, Try and just plan the day before, um, especially for training and that, get ready the day before, clothes, mm. etc., and then I just had to get up and, and leave. So the night before, you always get your clothes yeah. ready for the night before. Um, question 10, what's your most vivid childhood memory? 
Um, yeah, I probably said it before, just living on 100, 100 acres and just doing whatever I want and, and running amok on, on a farm. 11, the biggest adversity you've faced in your life so far? I think um, when I first moved to Sydney was probably my most challenging one that I've been through. And yeah, something that I always talk about and to work, get to where I am now. 12, what achievement in your life are you most proud of? I think um, probably getting to my NRL debut was probably one of my proudest moments and where, where I'm from, I don't think it's ever really happened much where my community is and to be able to do that and put my town on the map and put my people on the map, yeah, something I'm really proud of. And final question, what is your definition of high performance? Definition of high performance. I think being, being able just to understand physically what you need to do to be ready is something that I think comes with experience, what you needed to get yourself ready for the season in terms of footy. And then, but on the other hand, you can't, you need to have balance. And I think being able to have mental skills and understanding yourself and why you do things and what you're doing it for. Um, and if you can balance them two out, I think you can get the best performance uh, out of yourself. Laney, performance intelligence baker's dozen, 13 rapid fire questions. Hit me with the answer that comes to mind. Question number one, your favorite song or band? Uh, Hotel California. Okay, you two are such old school, aren't you? <laughs> it's a cracker. <laughs> two, favourite movie? Um, Avengers Endgame. Uh, question three, your favourite book? Um, I'm fond of the subtle art of not giving an F because it was the first book that I really got into and then started me pretty much reading from there. Okay, four, apart from that moustache, what's your favourite possession? <laughs> um my Ken Thornett medal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice answer. Uh, he's actually still wearing it. <laughs> Is he? I took it to the races the other day. Did you really? Nah. <laughs> <laughs> Five, your favourite food? Uh, chicken schnitzel. Question six, what time do you get up and go to bed each day? Um, I get up, I'm, I'm a sleeper in a um, So... But I have to try and control myself. So probably like 8.30 is ideal for me and then... You probably go to bed naturally about 12 o'clock, 11 or 12 after that. But so how many hours that's sleep do you try and get? Oh, nine, eight to nine in, in around there. But um, yeah, I'm yeah. not a good morning person at all. I don't function very well. Do you have a morning routine? Because I'm not a morning person, I just, I wake up, get all, get all my stuff ready, have a coffee and then I'm off to training and then I have another one once I'm there just pretty much prepare for the day ahead but yeah because we train so early it's difficult i've seen you some mornings in there with gutho on the treadmill at 5 30 a.m yeah. how do you do that if you're not a morning person oh mate it's pure willpower <laughs> 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 question eight uh, what's one of your favorite fitness routines i love um because our training so hard mate it's, it's difficult to have a positive relationship with with fitness uh with with the exercise, the things that we do. So I like to have a nice chilled walk or around in nature or, or down to the beach and, and have a coffee. And um, that's probably the exercise that I enjoy the most. Nice, nice. Uh, question nine, what's a, a, a tip you do to stay organized? I uh, journal every day. Oh, tell me a bit more about that. I just go through my thoughts for the day, my feelings, things that I did, things that I need to do to improve my thought processes to help my feelings um, improve, things like that, yeah. Uh, question 10, what's your most vivid childhood memory? Well, I guess traumatic experiences are probably the most vivid in, in most people's lives. So I can't remember too much as a, as a child, 
But uh, one of the most vivid ones I have is when I first found out that my dad had depression when he was on the phone to his mum and he told her he wished he was dead. So unfortunately, that's my most vivid childhood memory. Um, but yeah, it's, that's life. That's life. How have you processed that? Well, at the time, yeah, I think I was probably like eight or ten years old or something, you know, so just bawling out crying, don't, don't know what the hell's happening. And yeah, from there, I guess my mum kind of went about explaining to me what was happening and dad had a condition and things like that. And yeah, I, I don't know. It's just kind of part of my life now, part of my story, part of his story. And yeah. I think you already answered question 11, the biggest adversity faced. Yeah, well, I guess my, yeah. I see that more as that's 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 my old man's adversity. You know, it's a part of my story, but um, I've gone through plenty of things myself. And being a professional rugby league player, that's the biggest adversity that I've faced. <laughs> <laughs> biggest joy, biggest adversity. <laughs> yeah. Twelve. What are you most proud of? What achievement? Just being the best son and friend that I can be to my loved ones. That's that surpasses any professional. Um, accolade that I could that I could ever win and final question what does high performance mean to you being able to turn up consistently do your job to the best of your ability regardless of external influences before we wrap up this is the flip it's where you get to ask each other a question or you ask me a question anything before we wrap up and if we hear crickets we'll wrap up I didn't come into this prepared with any questions mate yeah, um, you, can. you can both think of what's, a question your, what's your biggest adversity that you've been through Maisie? Oh, jeez, you guys are good. <laughs> uh, two for me, biggest ones, uh, having cancer when my first, born, my first daughter, Michaela, just before she was born, I was diagnosed with a melanoma on my left shoulder and I had treatment up until she was born and I don't remember a lot of Mickey's first month. I still had stitches in my shoulder when she was born. I had um, a couple of lymph nodes removed as well and they sent those off to America and you'd, uh, back then it was to get another screen because with... Uh, melanoma it's more when it metastasizes so they check the lymph nodes my first set of lymph nodes uh, sample they lost in america so they had to send a second one so i was waiting for three or four weeks to get that secondary result to make sure it was clear that was a tough period at that same time lady my massage therapist in hobart was more like my spiritual father bruce eaton he was diagnosed with a melanoma on his opposite shoulder uh, and he died in october that year um, so I, I always think about that and I wasn't flippant about it. The contrast between yeah. just subtle differences. And, and and my melanoma was double the size of Bruce's yeah. and he was my spiritual father. He was like really like having a mental skills coach but we never called it that. And uh, when a mate of mine, Mick Raymond and I went to say goodbye to Bruce, it was just one of those sliding door moments. That could have been me. Yeah. Yeah. So that one and going through a marriage breakdown. Um, I'd set myself up as the, you know, the high performer. I'd done well at school, done well at business, done well in relationships, uh, was married, had you know, the big house, and it was all exterior. And then when I went through the marriage breakdown from an Irish Catholic background, two young kids, I felt like a failure. Yeah, so that really put me on a path of looking at not just success on the Western definition, but what drives it, purpose and all that stuff. Who's the... Who's your favourite professional athlete you've ever worked with? Oh, it's like asking someone who's their favourite kid. <laughs> uh, I can't answer that. Um, what I love is the diversity. So, like, I've loved working with you guys. Um, totally different sport for me. 
Uh, but performance, there's commonalities, right? You can train your, your, your sport or your skill. You can train your body. You can train your brain. So you can learn different sports. I love the stuff I'm doing now with uh, some individual athletes. Like, and it's different working with an individual player. Like you guys, there's a squad of 17 uh, and it's 80 minutes. Whereas with a boxer, you've got a bunch of rounds, but you get knocked out in the first minute, you're out. Yeah. So yeah, that's I'm loving that. Yeah. I've seen you perform firsthand in the studio at what you do. So I'd like to know... What are your pre-performance routines or morning routines that you go through? I've got a real, uh, I've got a real structured routine. So before a presentation, if it's a big one, now it's live. So you're doing a live one with me next week. You'll see this. I'll make sure I've got the slides at least the day before, so I can can go to bed knowing I've got the content and not not racing around the next morning. Yeah. Preparation. Then before I. Like I once you're an athlete, you're always an athlete. You guys, when you're old like me, you'll get this, whereas now you're young and funky and fresh and it's, you're still on the, the highlights of your career. But I treat it like a game. So I go, okay, uh, say today I did a presentation for 150 people in the city for a recruitment firm. I was on at 11.45, but I got there at uh, just after 11 o'clock. I walked into the city, cleared my mind, and half an hour before I do a big presentation, I switch off. I get off my mobile phone and I just sit there and I sit up the back of the room and I just breathe. It's a, probably a form of active meditation. Mm-hmm. The last thing I want is to be doing a text or getting a message from one of my four kids. Love them, but I don't want to get distracted before I go on. So I, I learned that from sport. So I think sport, when I first started doing uh, performance coaching, mental skills and all that stuff, I didn't even realize it was just innate. And I really think it gives you a, a foundation to apply to other parts. Is there a, a goal in a way? to where you want to get to? Um, God, you guys not meant to ask the deep questions. That's my job. Yeah, uh, there is. Like, it's my, my purpose is to uh, wake people up to a better way of living, working and leading so they reach their optimum potential. So my goal though is not money. Money's secondary. I think you make good money if you're doing great stuff. I want to work as many people as possible to make a difference. I've really enjoyed today. I've, uh, I've worked with both of you for two years, but I've learned quite a lot today. I love working with you, Rudy, and will watch with interest and uh, obviously always want to see you develop and grow at the Bulldogs. I'm excited for you. You're the first athlete I work with at Para uh, that really opened this up. So, mate, thank you for the support as well. And I've loved seeing you grow into uh, the young man you are now as well and the confidence and that'll just continue to evolve. Laney, you've been my uh, secret weapon on the bench doing the mental skills we spoke about before. No, he's not on the books. Uh, but I've loved seeing you go to that next level this year. And uh, for both of you, I, I do look forward to seeing that continual evolution. And I look forward to seeing you know, representative honours hopefully coming up down the track as well. So I've loved working with both of you. More so, I'm proud of you as men today. I'm really proud of you, Laney, embracing your story because I can see sometimes in your eyes and I can feel it, it hasn't been easy. And the fact that as a male role model for so many other young men and women playing NRL, the fact that you own that and the fact you're being an advocate for mental health, I'm really proud of you, really proud of you. And really, I'm proud of how you've embraced being you as well and you wear your emotions on your sleeve and I think that's really good. So what are you doing to the stereotypical vision that most people have of Buffhead Rugby League players? You've totally disarmed it. Changing the game. I hope we have, yeah. You have. Thank you New age much. of footballers, mate. It is, yeah, it is. And, and I think it's giving a whole new view to the game. And there's so. a lot, lot, of, lot of more boys out there that are doing the same as well. Um, yeah, these things are gradually being improved. 
yeah, when I first came in, there wasn't much support around a, a lot of NRL clubs and professional yeah, rugby league. But yeah, it's a, obviously a huge space in the world right now and post-COVID, mental health and um, education, things like that. So it's definitely being improved and there's going to be a, a new crop of footballers coming through that are more educated and understanding on these types of things. Get out of here, boys. Thanks, man. Thanks for your time. Hi again, it's Andrew, and I hope you really enjoyed that episode. We would appreciate if you helped to amplify the Performance Intelligence podcast by sharing episodes with your friends and with your colleagues by going to iTunes and leaving a rating and review. This really does help get the message out to a wider audience, and I love reading the comments as well. If you'd like to know more about booking me as a speaker at your next annual conference or company offsite, or purchasing one of the books I've written, including MatchFit, or if you'd just like to receive my monthly e-newsletter, which is called the AM edition, that has stacks of information specific to all things human performance, go to andrewmay.com. And we'll see you on the next edition of Performance Intelligence. Performance Intelligence.